All right, let's see. Did you notice in Isaiah where it says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And then in Revelation, which was written many hundreds of years later, if not a thousand, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Isn't that cool? Or am I just a geek about this stuff? I just think it's wonderful the way God makes these connections with Scripture that are written so far apart by different people. He's still the author, but nevertheless, uh, these men that didn't even... uh, John didn't know Isaiah and vice versa. So I think that's kind of cool. Another thing I'd like you to do is get out those pew Bibles that's in front of you. Turn to page 921. There's just a little bit I want to have us remember about the woman at the well. So page 921, John chapter 4, a Samaritan woman meets her Messiah. I'll start at verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up to everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, that I may not thirst, not come here to draw. It's kind of a, uh, a strange interaction, isn't it? You know, Jesus says to this Samaritan woman, an outsider, you know, she's an, well, to him, she's an outsider. She's not of the Jewish people. She's a, a mixed breed of Jew and Samaritan. And she expected to have no interactions with a pure Jew because they just don't talk. And yet he says to her, give me a drink. And she fires back with a question. You know, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Well, that's all well and good. I mean, we can kind of get that. We know that there was tension between the Jews and the Samaritans and and there's cultural differences and all that. But then comes this more peculiar response from Jesus. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And then later he says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. The water in the well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. It's the water that will spring up 
to welling up to eternal life. You just heard it. Water that wells up to eternal life and satisfies an eternal thirst. Yes, please. I want that water. Don't you? One may not know exactly what all that means, but it sure sounds good. Later, Jesus tells a crowd, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, out of his heart, will flow rivers of living water. If you are thirsty, Jesus says, come to him. That's wonderful, inviting, and a bit odd at the same time. The one who promised living water so that we might never be thirsty again hangs on the cross. Beaten, scourged, exposed, dying. With nearly his last breath, he cries, I'm thirsty. This is the guy who would just, some time before, was talking about springs of eternal life welling up. Come to me, I am the water of life and all that. Behold the very rock which was split in two in the wilderness to give the wellspring of life-giving water to his thirsting, complaining people in the desert. Behold the one who created the waters that flow, the rivers that run, oceans that surge, underground water tables that nourish, and springs that bubble up from the ground. All that from a God who now hangs on a cross and says, He's thirsty. Behold the God who made six jars of of water to be the choicest vintage of wine that the wedding guests had ever tasted. With a vintage to satisfy their taste buds beyond the simple wedding banquet. Behold the man. He's thirsty. He's dried up, parched, with his tongue sticking to the roof of his mouth like Velcro, craving a sip of cheap, sour wine from the sponge. Behold the man who thirsts. Having taken human flesh, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, now needs to drink water in order to survive. If this God does not drink, he'll die. What can we make of this? The Creator relies on an element of His creation to make it from day to day. That's kind of uh, amazing when you think about it. His tongue is like sandpaper in His blistered, dry mouth. He wants a drink. And what about you and me? For what do we thirst? For what does our flesh ache and groan for? Not a drink of water. You know, probably that's far too ordinary. We thirst for temporary things which just don't satisfy in the long run. Money, influence, success, perfection, popular, popularity, and for comfort and, comfort and security, perhaps. We thirst for more likes on our Facebook profile, more reviews, more thumbs up, and more respect. And sometimes maybe our thirst is more basic. We thirst for one more swig of beer or vodka, one more puff or drag, one more fix, 
We, like Jesus, are thirsty, but we, unlike Jesus, are often thirsty for self. Jesus thirsts for you, though. Not in the sense that he wants to, desires to consume you or devour you. That's what Satan wants to do with us. No, Jesus thirsts for us in that he does it for us. God has taken human flesh, flesh that hungers and thirsts, flesh that needs sustenance and nourishment, flesh and bones that can be beaten, abused, mocked, nailed to a cross, and hung until it thirsts in peril for its life. But he's not thirsting so that he can live, he's thirsting because he can die. He's thirsting because he has flesh. He has flesh because he desires to save you and me. So behold the man who thirsts. Behold the man who empties himself so that you might be filled. Behold the man who is cut off so that you might be grafted into the vine. God's kingdom, his church. Behold the man who thirsts so that you can really, actually, Be satisfied. Behold the man who thirsts so that people might drink and never be thirsty again. Behold the man who is parched and dried up so that you might find in him a river of life. Behold the man who thirsts as he dies so that you might never die. Not the big death, not the death separated from God, not death in hell. Behold the man who thirsts so that you might be satisfied and live. In him, your thirsts, your desires, your needs are quenched. Every thirst is primal, a hearkening back to the days in the Garden of Eden. Every thirst hearkens forward to the new creation, the new earth and the new heavens, to the river of life that he promises to be and that will be. Your thirsts, even when they seem shallow and distorted, are really thirsts for this wellspring, the river that flows and waters the whole earth anew, the one he was, the rivers, the waters he was talking about with the Samaritan woman. Our thirst is good, a reminder of our Creator's provision in the garden, a bringer of things to come, a call to remain in Jesus alone who offers water that will quench every thirst. Until then, you and I wander in the desert a little bit, between Eden and the new earth, in the same way that hunger sharpens our desire for the bread of life, the body of Jesus, thirst chastens your taste buds to to desire something more than water, or wine, or beer, or temporary fulfillment. Thirst disciplines your desire to a heavenly draft or vintage. Until you can satisfy your thirst with the eternal water of life, there is a river from the Lord's altar that can soothe your parched throat. Here, at this altar, is the blood of Him who bled for you, who thirsted for your fulfillment, who died so that you might have life. From the chalice and holy communion flows a river that gives you a foretaste of an eternal quenching, a stream that can fulfill your deepest thirst. 
Kind of wish we were having communion tonight, huh? So behold the man whose blood flows for you. Behold the man who was dried up with thirst so that your dry lips could be satisfied with drink of his blood for true drink. Behold the man who thirsted. Behold the, ba- the man who bids you thirst no more. Behold the man who is the headstream of a new drink, the river of life, the water for which you thirst deeply and intently. Behold the man who was dried up with thirst so that you might be quenched with a water that flows to eternal life. Behold the man and God who thirsts so that we would be saved. Amen.